Some people sell their soul down here for whatever it is that they think the world owes them. Hopefully you don't have to do the same thing for some sports swag. With that said, today's episode is brought to you by Fanatics. Fanatics is the world's largest collection of official fan gear from all the leagues, teams, and players you love. If you like our show, and you're looking to buy yourself a new jersey, sweatshirt, or even a hat, you can support us by going to podgo.co slash fanatics and get 25% off your next order. That's podgo.co slash fanatics. Fanatics. Officially licensed. Everything. And now, because you were bad last week, this is Telehell. We're back in our wrath circle to start the show today. Last time we were here, we showed you this section of hell because angry lost souls personally shovel lumps of coal for Santa's naughty list. But that's just one section of the wrath circle. We're currently in one of our more quiet areas of hell to showcase something that we manufacture for the human world, whether they want it or not. Of course, when we say that this is a quiet section, we only mean that in a relative sense. Come with me. Inside this hallway are a series of soundproof cells, which, once opened, reveal some of the most annoying sounds to have ever existed in mankind. A collection of cacophony, if you will, that when listened to by the human ear often invokes a wide spectrum of anger in most humans and some breeds of dogs, whether it be mild annoyance or sheer rage. For instance, in this cell, we have the classic sound of nails on a chalkboard. Ugh. In this cell, we have the dulcet tones of a violin being played by somebody who just started learning it. And in this cell, we've got that sound that Jim Carrey made when he was filming Dumb and Dumber. Okay, that may not be the best example, but we did say annoying sounds. And annoying and unfunny doesn't necessarily have to be mutually exclusive to each other. Which brings me to the cell at the end of the hallway. A sound of such annoyance that not even the most expertly crafted noise-proof headphones could withstand it, even if the sound was at the lowest of volumes. And if anybody is listening to this with those kinds of headphones, my apologies in advance for breaking them. Raise yourself. This one's gonna hurt. <laughs> Today, we go over one of the more strange phenomena of the 1990s. One that mysteriously had an abnormal fan base big enough for this phenomenon to have its own sitcom. And now it's time to roast the weasel in Telehell. Paulie Shore. Kashmir Rajneesh, why don't you just chill? Link and I are cruising the mountain, bro, and we figure we's a little juice. Hello! If you were a member of Generation X, or one of the early millennials who was born in the later part of the 1980s, you may or may not have gravitated towards his brand of entertainment. If you can call it that. Ah! 
How does it feel to be dead, motor boy? I don't know. How does it feel to be a dick, dick? Born the son of a comedian father named Sammy and his comedy entrepreneur mother named Mitzi, Paul Montgomery Shore, yes, that really is his full name, felt that he had comedy in his blood. So much so that upon barely graduating high school by the skin of his teeth, Shore embarked on a career in stand-up comedy starting at the age of 17. As is the case with many a young stand-up just starting out, Shore had his fair share of struggles in his early years. And then, one day, a cable network that, once upon a time, played music videos, decided to take a chance on the budding ingenue in the waning years of its cultural heyday. The result? Hi, you guys, it's me, it's Polly Shore. I'm here in the Boot Hill Saloon in Daytona Beach. Just having a soda pop. Even bikers like me too, right, buds? That's right! Shore made his presence known on MTV from 1989 to 1994. And in spite of the fact that prolonged exposure may result in early onset tinnitus, the young people of the day couldn't get enough of him. So much so that it was only a matter of time until Hollywood tried to harness his inexplicable success by projecting it onto the silver screen. While Shore did appear in relatively minor roles in a handful of movies and TV shows, he truly wouldn't become a breakout performer until 1992's Encino Man. Flamage. Oh, he is so greasy! And while I will concede that Encino Man was probably Shore's best work on film until his 2003 mockumentary Pauly Shore is Dead, that only meant that it was all downhill from there. Starting with Son-in-Law. Middle America. Who the hell is that? He's weird. In the army now. Let's go bust some skies! Suck on this at one time! Jury duty. Look, it's the juice. Run, OJ, run! And biodome. Just because we're stuck in a bubble doesn't mean we can't cause any trouble. On three, three. After a string of movies that caused Hollywood executives to rip their ears off and call themselves Vincent Van Gogh, other executives felt it might have been safer for short to stick to the medium that made him famous in the first place. Two such lost souls who were willing to take the chance were the writing team of James Berg and Stan Zimmerman, who, like most writers we mention around here, were actually better known for better projects, up to and including episodes of Golden Girls, Gilmore Girls, one of the theatrical Brady Bunch sequels, and perhaps one of the most talked about episodes of the original run of Roseanne. I was thinking that too, but next time, let's leave the wives at home. <laughs> read my mind. Huh? So naturally, since they already had experience in writing for someone whose voice could reshape a diamond, coming up with a sitcom idea for Pauly Shore should have been a cakewalk in comparison. And given just how much he still appealed to a young audience, even after a string of notorious box office bombs whom cult favorites, there was really only one TV network out there who still felt it was daring enough to take a chance on the show. At this point in history, the Fox network was 10 years old. And while the network still experienced some growing pains from a number of shows that got canceled faster than you can say, but, uh, it didn't mean that it wasn't a force to be reckoned with. 
thanks to recently acquiring the rights to NFL football, old CBS affiliates, and back then, the NHL, Fox was able to transform itself from TV's red-headed stepchild into, at the very least, a bantamweight in the fight for TV ratings. However, aside from a sudden glut of shows with titles like World's Blankiest Blank filling up the holes in their schedule, the network was starting to see some of its bigger hit shows reach the end of their runs. So, with the network trying to keep their pipeline full of shows that would appeal to a young audience, the network thought that a standard bearer of that youthful demographic would be just what they needed to remain a contender among the other three networks plus cable. For reasons we don't quite understand, the network thought that Pauly Shore would be their savior. <laughs> so with Berg, Zimmerman, and Shore teaming up, all that was left was to recruit the soldiers in the show's trifecta of duh. The main plot of the show is that Pauly, the alpha slacker that the 1990s wouldn't be complete without, plays an alpha slacker son to a wealthy but widowed businessman. That man is played by an actor with the unfortunate name of David Dukes. Not to be confused with a future resident of the real hell with a similar name, but who dabbled more into politics. But we already promised ourselves that we would never get into that subject ever again. But I digress. The pluralized Duke was actually a respectable actor who passed away far too soon in the year 2000. Who, among his many roles, may be remembered the most for playing a man who nearly had his way with Edith Bunker on All in the Family. You don't make any trouble, and everything's gonna be just fine, you understand? I'll give you anything you want. I got some money upstairs, eight dollars, or I could give you a check. <laughs> Polly's widowed businessman father eventually takes a shine to a woman that, if my math is correct, is roughly half his age and double what Polly's age was at the time. I would play a certain Kanye West song, but even that joke is too obvious, and we probably can't afford the rights to play it anyway. Her name is Dawn, and she's played by future wife of NYPD Blues Andy Sipowitz, Charlotte Ross. Do you ask if he can call you mom? Do you want him to call me mom? I don't want to disrespect his mother. Well, I don't think it's disrespectful, Andy. Dawn also has a son from a previous relationship named Zach, and he's played by a then-newcomer named Theo Greenlee, who would later go on to do various bit parts as a grown-up, but not before being one of the cast members of Disney Channel's The Jersey. You'll never believe what happened when I put on the jersey my grandfather left me. I put on jersey and poof, jumped into the pro game. Uh, don't worry, I've never heard of it either until just now, so... I'm just as in the dark as you guys are. Holly's California-based mansion is upkept by his own sassy maid, played by Amy Hill, another one of those performers who's practically been in everything, but may probably be best known for playing Margaret Cho's grandmother on All-American Girl. Well, you know, people think I've taken some kind of uh, drug that makes me younger as I grow older, because, you know, the older I get, the more youthful I appear. Rounding out the cast was the poor stooge who was paid to pretend to be Polly Shore's best friend. Burger. That thankless job will be occupied by actor Kevin Weissman, later known for his work on Alias and also a feature player in one of the greatest discussions in geek culture ever put to film. Your simplistic analysis of the trilogy aside, The Lord of the Rings was a massive achievement that even the Academy recognized when they gave Peter Jackson the Best Directing Oscar, an award your little friend George Toyboy Lucas has never and will never win. Bones. And right about now, I know what you're thinking. This show's got a durable cast, veteran writers, 
unquestionably bearable but still somewhat popular star headlining it, it even had a time slot following the soon-to-be-ending but still popular Married with Children. What could possibly go wrong? It's Paulie Shore in a sitcom! Everything could go wrong! And we're gonna see just how much wrongdoing can be done in a single half hour. After the break. What's up, bros? I heard you had a new frozen surge, buddy. Yeah, bro. Yeah, bro, let's do this. Surge is back, and now it's frozen. And the world needs to know! <laughs> Who wants the frozen surge? Do you surge around here often? <laughs> Practice safe surge. Man, this is good surge. May I cut in? It is time to find your inner surge. Um, ah, brain freeze. I'm making a special little frozen surge angel. Oh. You know I gotta wheeze the frozen surge, right, bro? Sorry, Polly. No wheeze in the frozen surge. Yeah. Oh my god, what's that? Telehell is proud to partner up with Dave's Archives. Dave's Archives is the premier spot on YouTube where you can get your vintage TV fix, including old commercials and original shows covering classic TV and other TV-related pop culture. Here's just a small taste of what they have in store for you. There's nothing like waking up to my fresh-baked cinnamon rolls. Oh, that's poppin' fresh dough. Hot cinnamon rolls. I can see them rising in the oven. Pillsbury cinnamon rolls. Oh, I can taste them. Want to check out the rest of it? Go to YouTube and type in Dave's Archives, or you can visit them on Facebook. Again, search Dave's Archives. And now, back to my punishment for the week. March 3rd, 1997. Wannabe by the Spice Girls was at the top of the music charts, while future chart topper Camila Cabello was actually born on that day. And at 9.30, 8.30 Central, the Fox Network decided to squeeze the weasel in an attempt to bolster its lineup. We begin with the Dukes, that's not from Hazard, alerting the maid to the arrival of his soon-to-be trophy wife. Sumi, there you are, uh, right here, Len. Listen, Dawn is very nervous about moving in. I'm a little nervous, too, so if you could just make her feel... Say no more, Mr. Sherman. You're my boss. Whoever you bring into this house... <gasps> what the hell is that? Yeah, better settle in, because this first minute or two of the show may be the most subtle that the show will ever get. Just fair warning. Dawn enters the house as though she already owns the place. And considering California marriage law, I think that ship may have already sailed. I'd like you to meet uh, Sumi. Now, she pretty much runs the place. Great, she can run my things upstairs. I'll see to your things. Oh, can you look my chest? Looks like a doctor beat me to it. After that bit of verbal sparring, the wife du jour tries to plant her claws even further into Polly's father. You're so cute. All right, are you going to give it to me? Or do I have to take it out myself? Oh, right. Uh, 
something else I should mention before we go further. This being a Fox sitcom from the 1990s, there's a specific element, not just in this show, but almost all the other sitcoms that the network aired at the same time that may or may not get on one's nerves just as much as our main actor will. That of the overexcited studio audience. For that, we sort of have Married with Children to both thank and blame for that happening. Because once that show started to pick up steam in the 90s, it was only a matter of time until that show's studio audience acted accordingly. Hey! Bob! Would you get the door? My arms are full! <laughs> <laughs> thus resulting in any other Fox comedy with an audience to pretty much do the same. Once again, just giving you fair warning, because at times, the audience may be on equal or greater footing with the star of our show in terms of annoyance. Moving on, Dawn's son enters the frame as she's making her move. Mom, you were right. This guy really is loaded. <laughs> Honey, why don't you go upstairs and pick yourself out a nice big room? And if it isn't clear in the first two minutes of the show what Trophy Wife's intentions are, just listen to how she bids her newfound love adieu. Three more luxury hotels to acquire before noon. I love you, sweetheart. Oh, Edward, say that again. I love you, sweetheart. No, honey, the part about the hotels. <laughs> now, I ain't saying she's a gold digger, but she ain't messing with no broke person. Of course, no money in the world may keep her from staying once she finds out about the man's slacker son. He's going to think I'm trying to replace his mother and give you a hard time. Oh, now, Edward, he'll warm up to me. Everybody does. I'm a people person. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But see, my kid is not like people. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, I think for the purposes of this show, I may need to put on some protective headgear just so that I don't go blind, deaf, and dumb from watching this. Uh, excuse me. Baby, you are so hot. Look at you. We're made for each other. <laughs> Except you have a little schmutz right there. Uh, I'll take it. And I know what you're thinking now. Aren't you being just a little unfair? Sure, Paulie Shore is just being himself, but he's nowhere near as annoying as he was in any of his movies. See, that's what the show wants you to believe, that in spite of a minor irritation at the beginning, he seems to come off as a regular guy. But we know what's coming. At least we think we do. Wow. Check out those girls, they're scoping us out. <laughs> hey, what's up? <laughs> so, would you like to join us for some banana splits? Oh, sure. When you look like that. After getting rejected by two 90s babes because he's Pauly Shore, Pauly Shore then fantasizes about how he could be the underwear model that the ladies wish that he was, if he wanted to. Big deal, Berg. I could do one of those cheesy ads. Yeah, yeah. You're right. Just then, while making that nightmare of a daydream, the hopes for the show rise a little as a semi-truck seems eager to run both Shore and his friend down. <laughs> of course that's not what happens, because who in their right mind has ever heard of a four-minute sitcom? Instead, we begin Act 1 with Shore... In his swimming pool? Okay. I, uh, I, okay. 
just, just, okay. You can't do that. You can't show the star of your show getting run down by a tractor trailer truck one second and then show him cavorting in what was supposed to pass for a swimming pool as if nothing has happened. If you were gonna go do that, the least he could have done was include a graphic that said six months later showing the passage of time between, oh, I don't know, a traumatic experience and everything being okay. But going from potential vehicular trauma to bending over and showing the Rowdy Fox Studio audience his butt in a wetsuit with no rhyme or reason and in between would be like me telling the story of Little Red Riding Hood only for it to morph into an issue of Newsweek. Wow, I think I've time just gone to Baywatch. But before I dwell too much on a continuity error that even Ed Wood would find to be a little too much, the trophy wife introduces herself to her new stepson. Help! Pamela! I can't swim! I need mouth to mouth! Help! Well, you must be Polly. And you must be... My dad's big surprise. <laughs> you know, it's a good thing I'm below sea level. Down Periscope! I don't want to be too redundant when it comes to just how grating Polly is going to be in the next 16 minutes. So in an effort to reduce my redundancies and focus my pain elsewhere, I'm just going to rip off a chunk of hair from random parts of my body every time Polly says something that annoys me. All but guaranteeing that by the time this episode is complete, I'll probably look like a Ken doll naked. In the meantime, Polly keeps making the moves on a woman who has yet to identify herself as his new mom. So technically, he only has a few moments left until anything after the reveal would technically be considered incest. Definitely Polly. My dad never set me up with the Heidi girl before. <laughs> so uh, do you want to cut to the chase or start off with the full body massage? Also, I'm gonna rip off additional hair every time the Fox audience chimes in with their approval. Their screams at this point kind of sounds like the cry of a banshee. Go on. Would you please get me some oil? Polly obviously needs to be worked over. Oh, you're bad. That's good. So before Polly's new mom springs it on him who she is, she decides to play along and give her new stepson a massage. Which, <laughs> I don't see getting uncomfortable at all, do I? <laughs> so what's your specialty, Swedish sports or shiatsu? Tamaligato! Tamaligato! Oh, that hurts. Polly, I haven't been totally honest with you. I'm not who you think I am. I'm your dad's girlfriend. Listen, I'm going to my room to call my dad because you are out of here. Good. While you're on the phone, can you tell him Dawn's going to be late for lunch? I need to pick out something sleek and sexy to slip into, like, a jaguar. Oh, she's a gold digger, way over town, that digs on Polly's dad. Much to Polly's disappointment. Just enough so that the maid gives this zinger. You don't need oil, baby. You're already burned. Concerned, Polly heads downtown to his father's office to try and talk him out of it. But wait, you can't enter the office without proper business attire. As I was saying, an adults-only resort in Orlando uh, could fill a considerable void in the baby boomer demographic. Uh, Seriously, what are they feeding these audiences? They're freaking out over Polly slipping into a business suit. Hilarious? 
Anyway, back to that father-son heart-to-heart. Hello, Mickey! When <laughs> <laughs> you think Disney World, you think kids. Fighting, crying, driving their parents loco. Now there's a separate kids wing for them. Well, then their parents have time for a much-needed... <laughs> As I was saying... Polly, you don't understand. Dawn is different. She has turned my life around. She is like a flower that has bloomed in an empty spot that once was my heart. Boy, are you horny. <laughs> you have no idea. Okay, who doesn't experience a midlife crisis in their lives? What's your point? I'm just, I'm trying to protect you. You're my guy. Well, since mom died, you're all I got. Really? The show is trying to stick us with an awe moment? A show that just minutes ago did a joke like this. I'm not who you think I am. Oh, I get it. It's the crying game thing, right? <laughs> you know, I always wonder, where are you guys tucking? Holly, I'm not a man. Is now trying to go for the heartstrings. Sorry, show, but you have to earn that shit before we can take you seriously. Dad, you gotta let her go. She's a phony. She's filled with more plastic than a Toys R Us. I'll ignore that for now. Hi, honey. <laughs> can I see the prescription that the audience was given before taping? So let's see here. Caffeine, vitamin B12, crack cocaine, and meth. Yep, that adds up. An audience of brainless junkies would probably hoot and holler over footage of a building imploding. But once again, I digress. Dawn continues to sink her claws into her prey. Oh, honey, I can't wait to pick out our engagement ring. Engagement what? Polly, this was the surprise I was telling you about. I have asked Dawn to marry me. Hmm. Her. <laughs> Not her. Well, from now on, you can call me... Mommy. Mommy. <laughs> well, credit where credit is due. I do thank Mr. Shore for banging his head against the wall on the audience's behalf. Saves us a lot of head trauma. And aspirin. Act 2 begins with Dawn's son trying to lock some screen time. Not to mention diving deeper into the gold digger's intentions. First impressions are always hard, but don't worry. The other kids will learn to like you. Mom, six guys from my class already want to come over and play. See, that's wonderful. With you. <laughs> and while she's supposed to buy her shorty Tyco with her money, Polly comes in and finds out a little bit more about Dawn's plan, courtesy of her son. Now, picture the Brady Bunch. Think of your dad as Mike Brady. Okay, now Dawn is Carol. Oh, well, wait, I... wait, wait. I want to be Jan. <laughs> so I can sleep in the same room with Marsha. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Oh, she... trust me, Polly. There can only be one Jan, and her name is Eve Plum. Isn't that right, fake Jan? She's here! She's really here! I didn't believe it, but it's her! It's really her! Naturally, the addition of a cousin Oliver type doesn't sit well with Polly. Someone your age shouldn't still be living at home mooching. I have bras that work harder than you. Yeah, well, your bras may be working, but looks like your panties took the day off. You better watch it. Your father listens to me, you know. I have his ear. That's not the only thing you have of his. You're damn right. So you see, in this situation, I think I have a leg up. Only one? 
hang on, I think that was at least three hunks of hair I need to rid myself of just for that one scene alone. Well, there goes my leg hair. On to the arms next as Polly's father comes in to intervene. How's uh, everybody getting along? Oh, great, Dad. Great. She's so she's cool. Really I love sweet. her. She's you know, fantastic. She's actually very cool. Oh, that's good. That's good. It's great. I, mean, I see. I see. I see. Well, look, you know, if anybody wants me, I'll be uh, upstairs in denial. So it's officially war between Paul and the future Mrs. Sipowitz, but not without hatching a plan at the video store where Polly's friend works. No, uh, how many? We only stock the finest in quality films, all right? We don't carry that trash. Jury duty. <laughs> okay. Okay, okay. Hard as it is to admit, that was a funny joke. And again, even the most parched of deserts have an oasis once in a while. At this point, Kevin Weissman's burger character gets to show off some of the computer hacking skills that would later come in handy when he joined the cast of Alias. I accessed her entire address book. Nuh-uh. Uh-huh. Not true. You so? Liar. I swear. Oh my god, stimulus just came through. Oh, no, no, hey, you're not gonna make me tell any more topical jokes, got it? Got in enough trouble over that last week. My dad wanted me to get to know Dawn, right? right? Well, what better way than having a little welcome to Los Angeles party? Who would ever come to one of our parties? If we press print, we will have the guest list. Uh-oh. Uh, this party's gonna, gonna be kinky! I tell you. And while we try to brain bleach the image of Polly Shore pretending to perform S&M on the guy from Alias, the party is started using all the former suitors of our gold digger. I know, there's dudes a ballin', and yeah, that's nice, and they're gonna keep calling and trying, but you stay right, girl, or at least as right as possible once she finds out who the guests are. I'm glad you could make it. Oh, hey, greetings, Mr. Sherm. Congrats on the nipples. Uh... <laughs> I mean, nuptials. Yeah, nuptials. <laughs> What's that? Sorry, I gotta go. It seems Robert Downey Jr. is passed out in the greenhouse. Ah, <laughs> yes. The, uh, the late 1990s were a simpler time. One where the future Iron Man was a bigger tabloid punchline than O.J. Simpson, the Menendez brothers, and Michael Jackson combined. Thanks, Satan, he cleaned himself up. Getting back to the party, all seems to be going well. A little too well. At least that's what we think once we get to the evening's toast. Sweetheart, is there something you want to add? You bastard. Short, but pithy. Your son is trying to humiliate me in front of you. He had the nerve to invite everyone I've ever dated. Great party, Don. <laughs> All right, so I experimented in college. The Trojan horse is sprung open and Pauly treats all of his guests as though this would wind up as a concept of a future Fox reality show. Edward Sherman, this is your wife! And tonight's contestants are... Hailing from downtown Baghdad, bachelor number one is the CEO of a successful microchip company. He enjoys quiet walks down the beach and cross-dressing. And then we have bachelor number two... Is war. Oh, what are you gonna do, ground me? The proceedings grind to a halt once again, as Papa Shore had just about all he could take. I was hoping the two most important people in my life could get along, but if you're going to stoop to this level, I want both of you out of this house. To cap things off in an effort to keep this show from going beyond its initial seven episode order, the Gold Digger attempts to quell things with a slight dose of humility. Don't you get it, Polly? I'm not here just because your father's rich. 
Guys with money are a dime a dozen, as you can see. But your father is special. He's sweet and caring, and I'm not used to being treated like that, and I, I really think this could be something special. What do you mean, like love? Yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> Look, Polly, we have to find a way to make this work. Give peace a chance? Mm -hmm. Well, then you'll lay off about throwing me out of the house. And you'll quit with the breast jokes? Cross my heart. Cap it off with an awkward family photo, complete with a accidental dive into the world's smallest pool. And I have to wonder to myself just how much body hair I have left to rip off myself. Well, I still have my torso hair, which I guess is good news, since given the annoyance of the show, I would have half expected to turn into a hairless cat by the time all was said and done. Does the lowered expectation do anything to change my mind about the show? Hell no! This show epitomized the number one problem in trying to cater to a young demographic. It tried way too hard to do that. Just because the show's star is likable in some circles doesn't mean it's going to appeal to all the other circles at the same time. And if you don't believe me, allow me to read some of the more verbal sparring that Variety Magazine's Ray Richmond expressed when reviewing the show. Uh, a little reading music, please? Thank you. There is a hell to which people are banished for living unproductive, destructive lives when they no doubt have a continuous loop playing the pilot for Pauly, a sitcom that unseats the 1990 Howie Mandel comedy Good Grief to stand as the most embarrassing moment in Fox's not always proud history. It casts the unfunny Polly Shore, comedy's living embodiment of the Peter Principle, portraying Kato Kalin if Kato never had met OJ but had a filthy rich daddy and dirty black hair. Polly's blissful life as a professional moron in Brentwood who lives with his father and has no ambitions to do much of anything is tossed into chaos when Daddy decides to hook up with blonde bombshell Dawn, whose skimpy clothes and ruby red lips scream $300 an hour. Dawn's job in the pilot is to serve as a human punchline setup in a halter, hot pants, and stilettos. She struggles vainly to match Polly's farcical fiesta of double entendres and innuendo. Not a single word or grunt that passes from anyone's lips in this raunch fest is even remotely believable. Most of it just kinda sits there, waiting for the next nipple joke, lesbian joke, implant joke, or one-liner about Robert Downey Jr.'s substance abuse. Pilot writers James Berg and Stan Zimmerman, who also co-created and executive produced the series, realize that in Shore they have an empty shell of a performer and thus need to surround him with as many distractions, most of them leering and tasteless, as possible. Or maybe this is just the sort of sophomoric material his fans expect. Whatever the explanation, Holly represents the first time in network TV history that a program has been able to take a teenage boy's libido and depict what it looks and sounds like on a television screen. It isn't a pretty thing. End quote. It's reviews like that that make my job both easy and difficult at the same time. It's very well stated, yet what else can you add to this? Let's find out as we throw Polly Shore down our nine circles. Limbo, lust, gluttony, greed, wrath, heresy, violence, fraud, treachery. The show was initially ordered up for seven episodes. Fox only aired five of them before crying uncle in April of 1997, resulting in the grazing of the Limbo Circle. 
But let's also not lose sight of the fact that gold digging and objectification of women also seems to be a central theme of this show, no matter how good the intentions are. Suffice to say, Sigmund Freud would also have a field day with Pauli and Dawn's characters, and Oedipus would probably flip over a table in disgust and yell, fuck it, so we can mark the show down for lust. And also for greed on account of Sugar Mama's actions with her past men in spite of their being genuine but flimsy feelings towards Pauly's father. But no matter what themes are thrown at us in the show, the one thing about it that's inescapable is just how cloying and annoying Pauly Shore is. I mean, I'm glad he's become more self-aware about his reputation back then, and he seems to have mellowed out considerably at the turn of the century, but there were reasons why his popularity at the box office dropped like a rock after Encino Man. The very audience that he tried to cater to eventually grew up and realized, why kill all your brain cells at once when you can let them die off one by one the natural way? The young people eventually caught up with the rest of society and started to get angry just at the mere mention of his name. On the plus side, at least Pauly Shore is Dead was a reasonably good movie. Take the good with the bad, I guess. Pauly earns four out of nine circles of telehell. And you know something? The thoughts occurred to me that in the past few weeks, we've taken a look at subjects who, for lack of a better word, angers up the blood in some people just by mentioning them. So, in the spirit of taking the good with the bad, and vice versa, I think the only fair thing to do now is to try and balance things out with something that's the complete opposite of what we've been covering the past few weeks, and instead focus our attention on something that I think we can all universally agree was a bad idea. Next time on Telehell, you can't have a war without a casualty. And when it comes to the late night wars of the 1990s, meet Patient Zero. Hi, I'm Chevy Chase. You know, on my new show, I won't be just sitting at my desk uh, talking to guests. No, sir, not me. I'll be moving around in and out of the audience. I'll be bobbing and weaving and all stuff like that. Sorry. That's why I said to Fox. Careful, everybody. Until then. If it's not in Telehell, it's not worth a damn. Telehell was written, produced, edited, and narrated by me, Justin Hart. All clips used in this program are protected under the Fair Use Doctrine of the U.S. Copyright Act of 1976, and all clips used come courtesy of their respective companies and owners. Some of the music used in this program comes courtesy of YouTube and their audio library service. Telehell is a production of Horton Road and is distributed by Libsyn. Not unlike certain viruses, Telehell is everywhere now. In addition to Stitcher, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts, we can also be heard on Google Podcasts and the iHeartRadio app. Of course, we can also be heard in a number of other places just by Googling Telehell. And don't forget to like, comment, rate, subscribe, and follow our social feeds. Twitter and Facebook, both at Telehell Podcast.